Hello, and welcome to Commendable Commotion. I'm Matthew Tanamelji, and I'll be talking to some fascinating people about some equally fascinating topics that need more commotion. Today, I'll be talking to Kieron Gallagher. Kieron is a freelance director and designer based in Dublin whose portfolio of work has been enjoyed all over Ireland. His most recent directing credits include The Last Corner Shop on Misery Hill by Mac Miramadi at Smock Alley Theatre in 2019, and Alva by Sean McDonagon as part of the Seen and Heard Festival in 2020. As both director and sound designer, Kieron most recently presented for the stage Emily Gilmore Murphy's The Horror Writer in 2019 in the Pierce Centre and the Whale Theatre Greystones, to critical praise. As a lighting designer, Kieron's artistry was most recently showcased in Overfired and GAA Mad, both taking home the Outburst Queer Fringe Award in 2018 and 19, respectively, at the Dublin Fringe Festival. Kieron also recently served as sound designer for Eclipsed in 2020 by Patricia Burke Brogan and directed by Kate Canning in its first stage reimagining since 1992. In 2016, Kieron's version of Simon Stevens' Punk Rock was selected to represent University College Dublin in Galway as part of the Irish Student Drama Awards. It was nominated for four awards, including Best Actor and Best Director, and took home the Judges' Discretionary Award for Best Ensemble. In 2020, Kieron began work on a new anthology audio drama podcast series titled Their Only Stories as part of the Headstuff Network serving as host and series producer. So, with all that being said, Kieron's clearly achieved a lot, and he'll continue to do so. Our talk was recorded in summer of 2022, and we talked about Kieron's amazing creative projects and the opportunities that exist for artists with the availability of digital technology. We also talked about producing horror in the creative arts and marketing. So, there's plenty here for everyone. So please, do enjoy. So, um, it would be great to hear from you, Kieron. Uh, it's been a while since we've spoken to each other, as we were saying earlier. So, you know, who are you and what do you do? Who is uh, Kieron Gallagher, if you would? Okay, well, um, my name is Kieron Gallagher, as uh, you mentioned there, Matthew. Um, I'm a theatre director, designer, and currently an arts marketing administrator as well. Um, Mike, and yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Well, that's a good kind of combination you know I mean some people would say oh that's a that's an interesting combination and a lot of people would actually so what what got you into both those things you know mar marketing and uh, theatre in all forms directing etc okay well I'll start off with the theatrical stuff I suppose and then I'll talk about the marketing stuff afterwards um what got me into directing and design in particular was uh, you started off in UCD Dramstock effectively, but I'd been in um, Anne Kavanagh's Youth Theatre for, for donkey's years before that. And I thought when I was there that I really wanted to be an actor and I tried my best. To, I, I gave it a good shot kind of thing. And um, I ended up getting a few small parts um, in TV series and um, short uh, RT dramas and little things like that. So I definitely had the bug for it. And then went to UCD and started doing performing in shows and that kind of thing. And I directed one show just as an aside, because I wanted to give it a try. And I just ended up falling in love with the whole process, like kind of 10 times more than I actually really had with acting. I hadn't fallen out, out of love with acting, but I just certainly wasn't finding the kind of creativity of it as engaging as um, I did when I, di I directed that piece, for instance. And that piece was The Glass Menagerie. 
and uh, it's a wonderful piece by Tennessee Williams. And but that, what uh, was that? So it was directing the show, like kind of you know driving the actors to like you know bring a piece to the stage and like showing like, and guiding them to like the best performance they can give kind of thing really gave me a huge amount of confidence and also like just really really good to see like them from an audition room to the finished products just was very rewarding and I just really kind of wanted to keep chasing that kind of that feeling so that's that's what kind of got me into it and I was kind of hooked from there and um also the other thing I was saying earlier on was just I love one thing about theater that I really really love especially when it comes to like directing and designing stuff is theater amalgamates like all of the things that I really I'm interested in and also really enjoy so music um vid- visuals art literature uh, all these kind of elements they all come together seamlessly to create some to create a story that an audience has to watch before it becomes theater and for me that was just a super rewarding experience and I just uh yeah loved that and so that was the first show I directed and then I ended up kind of doing a few more shows in UCD I think the biggest one I did actually yourself or you were in Matthew uh we did a version of Hamlet which was performed to um, Leaving Cert students um, with the intention of them seeing a version of the play before they sit down and write about their their Leaving Cert. And Hamlet was the piece I did for my Leaving Cert. So it was really, really interesting to uh, work work on that show because, you know, you look at it from a Leaving Cert perspective. You're you're learning quotes. You're just like, you're understanding theme and you're understanding kind of character and all that kind of stuff. But then when you have to like literally work with the text with people who have opinions and have ideas of a character and have ideas of how things are going to work out it suddenly just changes your whole relationship with the piece and that for me was just another really rewarding experience of just sitting down with a character that i you know we thought we knew when we were in sixth year to five years down the line where i was sitting in a room with a guy who was hamlet in fact you know that was hamlet that i then had to you know evoke the emotions and evoke the kind of the, the language that I thought was important at the time and I realized that there was things that like I thought were different now and like how my opinion changed over time and that kind of thing but yeah that was a that was a wonderful wonderful experience as well and uh that was a great one and uh yeah so that's kind of how I got into it and uh yeah I'll mention I, I suppose I'll talk briefly about the marketing aspect of things as well I basically before the pandemic I needed to, I, I needed kind of a career change because it was uh the it, as you know, arts has limited funding and limited capabilities to make kind of, uh, you know, regular steady income. So I ended up just getting a job in um, a, a startup company. I was working with a company called Flipdish doing marketing for them. And uh, I, of all of all the roles in like commercial business kind of areas, at least marketing, can, you can still remain to be creative. You can like, um, I, I'm doing a lot of content creation, video work, graphic design, that kind of stuff. So I, that was, for me, that, cre- that scratched the creative itch, but it still, but it also pays the bills. So that was the main thing. And uh, yeah, no, ever since, uh, uh, actually a year ago yesterday, uh, I joined the Lear and the Lear Academy in Dublin, which is the National Academy of Dramatic Arts, where we're ch- uh, training the next generation of budding actors from all over the world and the island of Ireland. And uh, yeah, that's been that's been really, really wonderful. It's really nice to be selling and creating content and creating work for uh an educational institution that is, you know, really, really doing, putting some big names on the map. Like uh, only, I mean, Paul Meskell has just come out of that place and Alison Oliver, who's just recently f- performed in conversations with friends who only graduated the year before. And this is our first thing straight, straight out of the Lear. So uh, yeah, it's really exciting place to be at the moment. And it's, um, I'm very privileged to be selling and uh, marketing them for other people. 
You know, I'm just wondering, I mean, you're absolutely right. It definitely is. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I'm just wondering, like, you know, you mentioned Hamlet. I remember being in that. It was a great experience and your directorial style. Um, but before we talk a bit about, you know, uh, how you direct, etc., I'm wondering, did your time working in Dramsoc, working in student productions in uh, UCD, etc., did that maybe kind of influence you to think, oh, okay, you know, maybe it'd be good to, you know, work in a, you know, another uh, educational institution such as the Lear or, you know, et cetera, or am I looking too much into it? Is it because, you know, the, the Lear is also like UCD, a great place and, you know, you wanted to work there as well. Yeah. Or was there a link between the education? Well, well it's not really a link between education so much. I mean, like I do love, um, I think the Lear was just an opportunity that appeared at the right time and also just made sense to me as well, because it's, it's one thing working for a theatre company, I think, and another thing working for an educational institution that is like selling uh, theatre and like training people and all that kind of thing. It's, I mean, I've no, I've, I've no real qualms where I was working. It was just that thing of I knew I needed to be in a creative environment and I knew I wanted to be like in an arts administration area or, so, or arts in general. Um, like it's my degree is in drama. Um, I'm now working, you know, doing a business, I'm doing a business related field, but in an area that my degree is in. So, and that for me was important because um, it's an area that I really care about and I always have cared about. And still to this day, you know, really, I'm very passionate about the Irish art scene. I really want to see the Irish art scene flourish effectively. And if I've got a small part in playing that to help the next generation of people who will be artists down the line, then that for me is like, that's good enough for me. Um, I won't be, I'm not, I don't teach there or anything like that, but I mean, the fact that I have like something to kind of help in some capacity to allow art to still flourish in Ireland, that for me is enough. Right, right. Okay, yeah, I see. Well, that's uh, extremely interesting. Yeah, no, and it's great to get your perspective on that because as well as that, like what I was going to mention was your directorial style and your directorial work. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I know that uh, it may not be a conscious thing. Some people think of directorial style, etc. But mm -hmm. um, when you direct a play, you know, getting emotions out of actors, getting or, and actresses, getting good performances out of actors and actresses and everyone in general with their work. Yeah. Is there a particular like method or perhaps it's too fluid to say, oh yeah, there's a method. It's not a theorem. Um, mm -hmm. Would you be able to talk a bit about how you go about doing that kind of thing when you're directing a show? Sure. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say I have a method as such. I just have this thing of like, for me, anyway, when I'm doing a scene with an actor, like I really, the one, the one emotion or the one thing that I think that really, really helps an actor to kind of get into a scene and like can draw emotion out of them is just like the empathy of the character and having empathy yourself. Like I think you need empathy and they need empathy to understand each other. And when that is like in full flow, that's when emotions are drawn out correctly. And I find that if we're working in a, sh if we're working on a show, for instance, that has a scene where like there's a particularly emotional resonance in it you know, that slow coaxing and a slow development of empathy for the scene and what the context of the scene is and what they're thinking and what their emotion, what their emotion is and what their motivation in those scenes are. That for me is like, I find the way, the best way to get something out of an actor and the best way for them to work forward as well. Um, and it's something as well that I'm, one thing I'm very, very like, you know, like I'm not passionate, but like, you know, steadfast in my, my ways with when it comes to that thing is just I never I don't, I don't want to go up and do it myself and show them how to do it they have to get there themselves and when they do I think the accomplishment of them like hitting that emotion hitting the beat that correctly um, that resonates with them and it also just solidifies like kind of that emotional state that they need to kind of hit then 
the only only challenge then after that they have to do it every night <laughs> again and again and again but i think once they've realized that they've got there themselves just yes uh, i mean I've, I've i've helped them to get there but like it, it is them ultimately that's gotten there and i think that's important for them to know that and once they do know that that really helps with for, for emotional resonance and scenes like that um in terms of other well, style though like one thing i'm very like in terms of my style of directing though as well i'm very passionate i'm very once again steadfast in the idea of letting the ensemble so the actors who are on that stage like letting them guide the production and getting letting them guide the performance because at the end of the day they're the ones on stage doing it i'm not i'm just the one who has an idea of how it should look and how it should feel and it's my job then to try and get the most out of them to hit what i'm trying to reach and for them to get there themselves that's the only that's the one thing i'm very very passionate about uh yes i'm yes i have one or two moments where like you know i don't like you saying that line but that's just that's just me then but if they have an idea themselves, I, I want to hear that. If they have, uh, if they have a suggestion for how they should do a scene differently, I want to hear that as well. We can. I always want to try that. Um, it only just, it, it's 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 very democratic as far as I'm concerned. The way we, the way I want the rehearsal room to be. Yes, that makes no, sense. I, absolutely. No, yeah, I I agree because I remember obviously you know uh, working on June. It was great and uh, very uh, very democratic uh, feel. Uh, you know, very. Um, uh, well, there would be populist in a good way, right? But, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, so, yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. I want I, everyone, it's, as I said, like everyone in that room on that stage is part of the ensemble who's going to be seen and ultimately is the one who like creates the emotional resonance for the audience that they will get out of it. So it needs to come from the actors, I find, and I just hope that like, you know, anything I do is just to kind of help them just to get there easily and get there, you know, as, as just to help them to get there together as a team. So it's very, it's very, it's very much a teamwork kind of thing in my books, and that's the way I kind of like to run it. A bit like sport in some ways, no? Yeah, actually, we very like sport to be honest. Yeah, it's it's a team effort, and it's a team that like you know it needs to work together to get to the end product. Now it's not it's not winning, but it's uh, it is you know to create something emo- uh, emotionally resonant for an audience that will come away even like that story was told so well that like I um, yeah that's the thing that's the one thing about art that like i love so much it's like it's it's a, the only thing that like makes you feel emotions that like don't make sense to your situation so uh you're sitting in a theater and you feel sad it's that thing of like i shouldn't be feeling sad i'm having i'm, I'm out celebrating but you know the art has driven you to be like that and that's what i find and yeah so once the art once the actors are able to achieve that that's like for me all i need from them yeah no very good very good that's definitely uh, a great aim to have on doing a show and so you know, some of the projects you've worked on, if you could uh, fill people in on that. I know you mentioned sure. the great uh, Hamlet performance that we did. Um, any other shows as well uh, since then, before then, during that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a quick summary. So um, so I did a lot of kind of lighting and tech work. Um, so I was a kind of a freelance, lamp, sorry, a freelance kind of technician lampy um, around Dublin for a, a few years. Um, I would just spend a lot of time in Smock Alley, a lot of time in the new theatre, a place like that, just doing designs and doing um, just, you know, D-rig, D-rigs, sound designs, all that kind of stuff. So, and that was keeping me quite busy for a while. And I really, I really enjoyed doing that. But like, it's, uh, I didn't do that much directing in that time, which was unfortunate, but that was just simply because of, um, I was kind of fresh out of college, you know, uh, the only directing I was doing was seen and heard. Um, which is a great little festival at Smock Alley hosts every February. And um, so I was uh, consistently working on, on little tiny shows uh, all the time. 
And then I had, I directed a show with uh, Mac Miramadi, who was uh, a UCD alumni as well. And we did a show called, uh, sorry, we did a show called The Last Corner Shop, Misery Hill, which we co-directed. I just started my 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 real job at the time around the same time we started we kicked off rehearsals with that so he co-directed directed it with me and that was the, that was like a, the first show that i'd done outside of Dramstock where like outside of college excuse me where like we had we had time and we had actors in a room and we had uh, people who weren't uh, people who were like ex- we had one or two lear graduates in our we had two lear graduates in the show actually who were fresh out of the lear from acting college and we had a few seasoned performers who weren't you know in our age range they were like older actors and people who were in their 50s and that kind of thing so that was a, that was really really fun for that and what was also really lovely as well was we had like zero constraint in terms of artistic creativity with it as well so um the the script that mac gave mac gave me was very different to the script that went on stage for instance because we chopped away at it and we changed things and we made it different and bigger and better and um yeah like the original the original draft i think ends with like you know a hot situation and what actually ended up happening on stage was the shop got burnt down so i got to burn down a shop in the, in smack alley i mean that was that was fun <laughs> um so all through all through theatrical all through lighting and that kind of thing but um just that kind of thing so that was the big one after that. And then I suppose the most most important one, Ben, I, I've done in a while was uh, I directed a show called The Horror Writer, which with um, a woman by the name of Emily Gilmore Murphy, who is also a playwriting alumni from The Lear as well. And uh, she sent me on this, she sent me on this lovely little script about an aging man who's in a nursing home who a new nurse starts in the ward and he was a, he was a, horror, a fiction horror writer when he was younger. And he's got one more story that he, was, he, want, he thinks he might write down. So he tells it to this nurse and the story then begins to unfold around her. And um, we go into, we go back and forth through time um, in uh, through the whole process. And it was a really lovely little show to work on. And I, I really loved doing it. Once again, like just had this lovely creative freedom, uh, which Emily offers as like she was a producer on the show. And just, it was, that was a great little show to work on. And uh, Brian Burroughs, uh, who was uh, of, Beowulf fame and a few of the pieces he was the lead actor in it and it was really uh, that was my first time working with someone like Brian as well and like he was just a, it was just a wonder to work with and um, yeah but yeah so but what's significant about working on that show was um, myself and Emily are now like creating work quite a lot together and we have set up a production company as well called Riot Productions uh, where we are pro- creating uh, we're creating theatre but during the pandemic we obviously had to create something a little bit different so we ended up moving into the world of audio and as a result we've created i think we've created five projects to date now that are all audio based experiences in some shape or form we had a podcast we had uh, at home audio horror experience we had a six-part uh comedy drama which is currently on spotify and we also did a immersive walking tour of Bray, which was um, a story which is told to you as you walk the Bray seafront. Um, so that's that was and that was all in the last two years. So very busy, um, but yeah. And uh, I'll give you the exclusive scoop: we're working on something else, which is going to be a live theater play. Um, but that's all I can say right now. Well, that's uh, that's very exciting, absolutely. And um, I love that kind of blend of technology and uh, performance. So. Mm. Um, I suppose, uh, you know, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about how you worked on those projects and also uh, the opportunities that modern technology, 
in your opinion, kind of open for storytelling in general? Yeah. Any thoughts on, on that? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, um, I'll, I'll kick off with Blind, I suppose. Um, so the horror writer was due to go to um, the new theatre for Halloween 2020, which was, uh, which was, I was very looking forward to that. But uh, as you can imagine, um, something got in the way and we couldn't, we weren't allowed to sit near anyone. Um, so as, as a kind of pivot towards that, do you remember, I, I think July, June of 2020, when things were starting to kind of seem like where they're opening up again and things like seem to be going in the right direction. Uh, we had a chat with Anthony, who's the uh, artistic director of the new theater. And he was like, uh, I want to do something. I want to do that show. But if so if we can, we might put that on as a, we might put that on if everything's back open again by October. But if we can't do that and we can have some audience in, could we make something else that would be, um, that could be safe. So we could do it for small audiences. That's short. Uh, so, you know, pick us in the box kind of thing as to what we could do. So Emily and myself sort of kind of just put, we put our heads together and we came up with this concept of if you were to go into the theatre to sit down to watch a talk and you have like someone left the PA on in the background so you can hear it backstage but you don't know, you can't see anything and we came up with the idea of like someone's about to come out and do a talk, power goes, they can't get out and but we can still hear them because their mic is live effectively. Um, I think the idea of that, that, the idea of that really just like tickled me quite a bit because I was just like, I love the idea of someone being trapped who can't, we, they can't see us, but we can hear them and we can hear everything they're doing. And so then the idea was then to create like a kind of a haunting experience effectively where like, you know, you sit in the theater, you put headphones on and the stage is just empty. It's all set up for like a talk, but the talk never appears because she's backstage caught dealing with this entity that's appeared in front of her and started speaking to her. And we can hear everything because it's the microphones attached to her. Uh, obviously, though, we couldn't do that either because October we were back to full. No one's allowed out kind of thing anymore. So we ended up creating as, a, as an at-home experience. And the idea was like lost, um, recovered um, audio, effectively, like a found footage kind of thing. But it's recovered audio. And you're listening to this woman who is about to give a talk and her microphone's still on and it's live and your man's recorded the whole thing. And while she's trapped in the room, she's visited by something. And it speaks to her and they end up having a great old chat. And then it turns out that it's something else altogether. And yeah, it was just a really, that was a really, really fun. Um, it was a really, really fun project to work on um, because uh, naturally we had limitations to work, but technology is what saved that project ultimately because we had to adapt. And it meant that myself and Emily were having conversations over, over Zoom and we were recording. Uh, I was doing field stuff, you know, in my house with things I had around me and that kind of thing. And then we could also share, we were able to share the audio then through, like, through the internet. We could listen to the whole thing. We could, and we sold the show through the internet as well. So um, it was one of, so yeah, the, the technology is what saved that show ultimately. But it's also a very technologically based show because it was, a, it was edited very highly and it's very, you know, production heavy. So it's, yeah, the technology is what kind of you know, made that show what it was. Whereas it could have been a simple story of someone who's just backstage, who's just has a mic there and there's, they're just moving, we block it around them. But, oops, but um, technology is what like made that show what it was, if you ask me. And that show was blind, became blind. Yes, blind, absolutely. Yeah, I, um, that was an extremely impressive uh, work indeed. Cause it's interesting, like, you know, in terms of um, using words like, you know, show or play, but then actually, you know, technology, yeah kind of uh, sometimes can open up all these new avenues for kind of uh, you know, yeah. audiences asking, what is this? What type of medium is this? And 
Yeah, but that's what it did though, because it was like it's not a podcast, it's not a play, it's not a show. It's like a, it's a, it's an at-home experience, is what we kind of ended up like calling it. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it was like, what is it? It was like, I don't know. It's a, it's a half an hour little thing. It's not a radio drama, you know. It's it's you, you know you, you should be at home listening to it in the dark. That's the idea. Um, so yeah, but that's what I, I found that really interesting as well. Just like what are we calling this? But it was still. But I still, it's easy just to kind of call it a show in one sense because it is just an event, it's an experience, it's a thing you you gotta get yourself invested in to listen to the story and have a story told to you some way. But it's just we're, we just gotta be strict with how you do it, <laughs> otherwise you won't get the full effect of it. Um, so yeah, if that, does that make sense? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, it's just so interesting. I mean, I think um, you know, there's sort of a whole world of things that can be discussed with the the use of um you know digital technology in particular like yeah. you were talking about with blind and the internet um creative fiction online that kind of thing which um you know is sort of a interesting area for both practical and academic uh work yeah so uh be, you know great to hear more of your insights on that i mean what, what sort of um did you ever sort of uh like what sort of challenges did you run into maybe when making those kinds of productions and how did you overcome those challenges? Um, didn't really actually, they're actually fairly, fairly handy and fairly straightforward, to be honest. I mean, I'd say the most challenging aspect of it was just the fact that like, I, I wouldn't say challenging now, but like almost disappointing about these kind of things, just because you put a lot of time and work into these projects and you'll work with directors, so you work with actors, excuse me, and you work with, I'm working very close to Emily, all these kind of things. And then the amount of time and effort that would go into us to create something and then to release it. The, there's no applause at the end. There's no, no, there's no chatter. There's no, you know, post-show drink about what you experienced anymore. And you're kind of relying on Twitter effectively, or, you know, um, that kind of thing. And that was uh, that was the only I wouldn't say challenge, but it was certainly kind of like a little bit disheartening about that's the only disheartening thing I'd say about it. Um, because you'd work on something for so long and only to have it just exist now in a in a in a really liminal space, which is you know just online somewhere. And yes, you can see the ticket sales, you can see people's reactions, you can see like you know that it's it had it's had several hour hundred hour listening time, etc. But you don't there's no uh, there's no kind of celebration afterwards or kind of just to complete that mise-en-scene of like what that show was if that makes sense it never formally ends it just lingers forever and that was like that was I found that one very very, kind of hard to deal with and I found that one kind of disheartening after like the third or fourth um project that we worked we worked on because you know as as uh, as creatives you need creative feedback and you also need creative um what's the word you need, I think, I think the applause is so important. It just solidifies that what you did was, you know, appreciated and it was, you know, experienced correctly. And yeah, that, I, that was, that was, a, that was a challenge in, in terms of like, you know, dealing with, um, dealing with online work. But that's just, a per, that's just a personal experience now. Well, yeah, no, I can see how that would be a, you know, a challenge on a personal level, absolutely, and a, a creative level as well, as you mentioned. Um, do you think sometimes potentially that lingering sort of uh, sense of an online work being over maybe sometimes was particularly evocative, evocative uh, excuse me, uh, positively or negatively, or was it mostly for you maybe 
kind of a negative not having that applause or were there ever times where it actually added to the maybe eerie sense when you're making a horror sort of based yeah. online production um absolutely i think i do like uh, with the horror stuff in particular um emily's a big horror nerd so um i'm actually i'm a i i can't do horror <laughs> i don't like horror movies at all but um i like making them i, I like I, i'm a big fan of making them now because uh i, I spent time with them but um what was i gonna say uh Particularly with horror pieces, though, like they 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 do work well, like as a lingering kind of piece that's just kind of out there and like in this liminal space that exists. Because it's that thing of if someone stumbles across it now in some capacity and listens to it and kind of goes, "Jesus, what the fuck was that?" It's suddenly then you know it's it's now granted I will never I'll never know about that experience, but uh, necessarily, but um, it's it lends itself quite well to that kind of work. If that makes sense. Um, and on top of that as well, actually, we have a six-part, uh, we did a six-part um, comedy drama, effectively, called We Need to Talk About the Ducks, which was a, uh, a tragic comedy, kind of Channel 4 style, you know, young young 30-something-year-olds trying to wrap their heads around, you know, loss and friendship and, you know, that kind of thing. But that piece as well, for instance, it just serves as a nice kind of thing on Spotify that is just a nice you know, three-hour story that exists there for someone who, like, you know, finds themselves going into it or whatever. And that lends itself quite nicely to, you know, audio work in particular, I find. Yeah, yeah. So a bit of a timelessness to it in a yeah. way. It's like, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, always it's there. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's like, it's like a film, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, on that note, <laughs> given timelessness, I suppose a lot of people would say that the ancient sort of... Uh, performance is timeless or at least the um principles of it or the inspiration of it can be timeless um yeah so moving all the way back from digital technology mm-hmm. uh absurdly back from it would you be interested in kind of the you know sort of like oral poetry that kind of thing and you know sort of things that some people would look to when they talk about like you know uh i don't know pre-modern i don't know is that the right term specifically but um yeah you know, way before digital technology, would you be interested in that kind of like ancient theatre stuff, the foundations for theatre, that kind of thing? Oh God, yeah, absolutely. Sure, my degrees in drama. Like um, I did, I, I studied uh, classics in, in uh, secondary school and couldn't get enough of it. I was just loved it so much. But just the, even the, uh, at the origins of, of theatre as a whole, like, you know, like the, the Greek, the Greek tragedy style and that kind of thing. That's that's paved the way though for like as far as I'm concerned, like the whole way through time effectively. Like, you know, that's the, the one constant has always been like, you know, we have performers on stage that we as an audience all have to go watch. And the tradition of like, you know, the proscenium and the tradition of a chorus and like, you know, the tradition of, you know, the, the lead tragic character and like the foil and all that kind of stuff, it all still resonates today. And like, you know, it's 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 very, very it's still still exists like. And to the point where like, you know there are still versions of plays from antiquity that are being done today because there is a lot of relevancy in like what these, what these people are going through to a certain extent that we can translate to a modern audience quite well. So absolutely. I mean, it's um, like uh, the Odyssey was like one of the, was the, the most, the most fun thing I studied in secondary school. And I will, I will shout about it from the rooftop. I thought it was the most, I had such a time, such fun reading that, but in that oral tradition um, though, I can see how that would have changed as well. And I just love how like, um, I love how stories are kind of you know, passed down. And it's this thing of like, with oral tradition versus like, you know, say like a piece of technology that exists online, 
that is what it's always going to be. Whereas like an oral tradition or uh, storytelling is going to remain ever changing and fluid and moving through time. And like, you know, other people's experiences and biases come into it and that changes the narrative. Uh, it can change the narrative. Sorry. And also uh, can change the context of it for like people down the line. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, I'm look, storytelling as a whole is like basically like what we as creatives have to try and make, even in marketing, you know, it's all about creating a story that people want to buy. So that's, you know, how, uh, it, there's, that's why they're so important. That's why like, you know, they, you know, it's versus, sorry, that's, that's, that, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Storytelling is important. Oral tradition work is works in its own way and stuff that remains forever as like what the singular piece of art that it is also has this important part in what well, our culture. Yeah, well, very well said. Yeah, no, absolutely. So. And um, <laughs> it's a bit rambly now. <laughs> well, no, I, I think it was perfectly well said. And, you know, I'm sure other people will agree. I mean, like, it's sort of like um, over the decades and centuries, I suppose maybe people would argue that there's a bit of a, you know, lack of attention sometimes given to the arts. And given the name of this uh, uh, podcast, Commendable Commotion, it's kind of uh, one of the aims, you know, kind of get people talking about things that need to be talked about. So would you agree with that kind of sentiment that the arts kind of need to be given more attention? Or do you think maybe now people are maybe beginning to give it more attention? It's a bit better. What do you think of that? Um, I would have I would have agreed with you that the arts needed more attention before the pandemic. Now I think that um, it is definitely getting a lot more of a spotlight on it now, um, more so than before beforehand. Um, like, when I say the arts now in particular, I'm kind of, I'm, I, I really, I only really, really work in kind of, you know, theatre and audio and, and such. Film doesn't, isn't like an area I'd work in now that much, but and like film, film is always going to be wanted and film is always going to have money pumped into it just for the big people, not for like the smaller kind of um, independent films, that kind of thing. So when I'm talking about art, I mean, I'm talking like independent films and like theatre production and like that kind of stuff. But um the one thing that the pandemic showed everyone is that we, we we do need art and we need stories. We need human connection that other people create and display for us to like keep us going. I, I think um, like before the pandemic, you know, it was very hard to get funding opportunities. I found I personally wasn't, I was never successfully funded for anything I did before the pandemic. Now during the pandemic, myself and I have been successfully funded a few times. And we've received like, you know, quite generous amounts of cash from the Arts Council and um, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland to create work. And that for me, like kind of now, granted, it's a very selfish experience. So like, yes, the arts are, are being funded because I'm getting funded. But there is like definitely a bit more of an onus now to make sure people's work is being seen. Even that introduction to the artists, uh, basic wage that came in uh, a few months ago. Um, people who are artists can receive a basic you know, fee, uh, sorry, a wage from the government on top of whatever work they're doing as well to keep them alive and subsidize them. And especially the cross living crisis that's going on here in Ireland at the moment. Um, like this kind of stuff really is so important for uh, art. And uh, it's, it is, it's, it's still work that needs to be done, I think, to make sure that, like, because uh, uh, I know, like, in, for instance, in, in you, and in, uh, I believe Rome, when Emily was working on a show over, huge, but that was all from the Arts Council of Rome government to make sure that art was still, you know, produced and, uh, you know, Italian theatrical artistic endeavours were like, you know, at the forefront. Because, I mean, it's important for tourism. It's important for the people. It's important for everyone. And Ireland is slowly, slowly kind of getting there. They could do better, but 
I mean, I'm gonna have to commend them for the last while. They've been they've they've seemed to have kind of pulled their socks a little bit, and like art's actually getting a bit more of like you know, the art that like I I the art that I engage with, and I think a lot of other people I know who like are in this industry engage with smaller smaller fringier nicheier kind of aspects of things are getting some of the recognition they deserve now, and it's it's good, and I hope it just keeps going that way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's reassuring. I know because um. You know, it's sort of uh, well. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's all I can say really is how reassuring it is. Um, and so in terms of, uh, but it's great to get your insight on that as well because I think it's uh, you know really shows uh, the appreciation that goes into that as well. And so in terms of then, like uh, you know, let's say in terms of um, marketing, and yeah. uh, you know that sort of thing. What would you say are kind of particularly creative ways? to market essentially um whether it's a i suppose primarily in the arts whether it's a you know a play or a film or whatever yeah what in your experience like what are you know good ways of marketing something i mean is it through an artistic project in and of itself is it just through a you know a sort of an advert mm -hmm. on a wall kind of thing or yeah. you know what sort of ideas uh hit your mind when you think of marketing well, that's a good that's a good question matthew um for me, anyway, I think, well, what works for me, anyway, uh, is uh, very much social advertising currently. So um, uh, any any concerts I go to, any theatre shows I go to. Now, uh, theatre, actually, I'd be a bit, I kind of know what's going on just because of, like, the people and the circles I keep. So I do, I, I know, about to word of mouth, I actually know kind of a lot, a lot of what's happening in the in theatre circles. But in terms of, like, say, of music, I, 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 a massive music lover, and um, I I go to as I go to I'll go to see anyone in concert effectively I just like I just crave live performances so much and uh, I'm making up for lost time now because I couldn't do that for two years but um I just find for me anyway kind of what really really sells that is just kind of social advertising and I find that's like what's really like really drags me in and it just it catches me off guard kind of thing and I I, I like that about it and it's just like oh they're playing well, I better go see them so um and that's just uh, now then that is an example of like you know that's one night only versus something that's running for a while um so that's social advertising for me works that way but uh because i think print is print's not dead but print's not doing well if that makes sense and i think like uh, a lot of it it frees up budgets for advertising stuff when we can do things digitally because it really does it can last a bit longer digitally and also it just kind of disappears nicely when it's done um so that's those that's you know I, I know it's a very basic answer but that's kind of you know just basic advertising is kind of like what really helps with a lot of that kind of stuff and then with um the other thing i was going to say is i think creating stories and creating narratives in a campaign for instance of something you want to sell is going to help sell them going to that piece of art that ultimately you want them to get to if that makes sense so for instance i think tiktok for instance as just as as a as a as a platform is absolutely mental but it is something that can really really kind of create like a the, the beginning of a narrative that you might be interested in and want to learn more about and as a result you end up you know for yourself then figuring it out kind of thing and that also goes in with youtube as well and all these kind of platforms but that you know it's it you know giving them like the, the beginning of a story and a narrative that's going to want to have them hooked in is what really really helps particularly anyway i find with like just with plays it gets it gets people interested just that little nugget of just information that you have to like come pay the ticket you have to go buy a ticket to find out more you know so yeah that would be that would be what i'm kind of that would be my two cents in that anyway 
Yeah, yeah, because it's interesting from kind of like a, um, you know, post-production standpoint or, you know, I suppose with a trailer, I mean, usually that would be done, I suppose, usually before a film, for instance, is released. So, I mean, with a film, I know that it's all kind of about getting the basic information in, but in a way that really, really amps up tension and gets people excited. So um, would you say that like, you know, movie trailers, I know it's film specifically, not theatre, but would you say that like movie trailers are kind of a good um, example to go by for theatre advertising as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, the only thing is, the only thing about trailers is, like, you know, when you go to the cinema, you're just bombarded with like 20 of them for about 10 minutes. And that's great because, I mean, it just, it just, it, it puts them on your radar and it means you, it, it's, it's films you want to go see then at some point down the line. Um, like, yeah, so no, they, they work. They always work. They're not going to go away anytime soon because they're just, they're great. And, um, yeah, they're, they're a nice little, t- that's the thing, as I said, like with narrative, like, you know, they, they create this, they create like a little one for what? Two minutes maximum, thirty seconds, and it's enough to kind of go. I need to find out more. I need to. I need to get. I need. I need closure. I need a conclusion to this. But with theater, though, like because you haven't got the luxury of. I mean, I'm. I, you know, it's not the. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> not the realms of possibility. It's going to happen down the line. Now we'll be sitting in the Abbey Theater, and there'll be a screen on stage. Been like you know, Brian Friel's translations is up next. I I I don't think we're that far away from seeing something like that happen. To be honest, in the theater, when people just sit down and have a have a. You know what I mean? We get like a 30 second trailer of like what's coming up next. But um, yeah, because because theatre and that kind of thing is like a digital, uh, digital advertising is like the only way, real way to kind of sell theatre, I think now. And with uh, print kind of being not as uh, important as it was anymore, but just, you know, from an from a environmental point of view, but also from like just a, you know, uh, I think just a generational kind of thing as well. Like I'm going to be much more likely to, I'll pick up a programme, but I'm not going to pick up a flyer necessarily do you know that kind of way um yeah. i think a lot of i think like a lot of younger people as well in particular will be very much like minded of the thing of like i have i have the ad i have a picture on my phone i have that now that's what i need i don't need the information elsewhere um and the pandemic as well with everything going digital digital stuff versus print made a difference to that as well um yeah i'm rambling again now sorry but um yeah does that make sense it does. No, I, I just think that's great insight. I mean, like, it really does, because, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people would say it's generational, but I mean, there are all these other factors as well that you mentioned, like, I mean, environmental, for instance. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so no, that uh, that does make sense. And would you would, like, have you have you ever like sort of made a narrative as part of a promotional cam- campaign uh, or is that? Because I know, some oh, yeah. people, I mean, the Blair Witch Project did that, and that was a movie, I know. Yeah. But uh, you know, would you ever think of doing that, or have you done that sort of thing before? Oh yeah, no, it's 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 super important. Now, I'm uh, much more so than my previous role, which is in Flipdish, which was a food ordering software kind of thing. But like a lot of, uh, we used to do a lot of. I used to write a lot of blogs for them, a lot of articles for them, and the idea behind that was you Google a key term. So like, if you're a restaurant owner, so we had to get into the minds of restaurant owners and kind of be like what do you what would they be googling because they have a problem with something and we have the solution for it so how do they find it so what they would type in for instance is like um you know food management uh software or um restaurant in a stock okay you know uh solution kind of thing and the article we would have written would have been something like you know uh you know store you know uh your restaurant inventory management system you know, is there a better way or something like that? And I, you know, they're going to suddenly click on that then. And you have this full article then, of, which is like, you know, just which I've written, which has the keywords they're looking for and offers a solution at the end of the narrative, which is 
buy this product. It's gonna it's gonna fix your problem. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was like that that that, that was very much kind of you know that's a that's a long game kind of bit of you know uh, marketing. Uh, it's SEO kind of based, you know, search engine optimization and keywords and that kind of thing. But um, you know, with that, for instance, like I did something kind of similar with the Lear recently, where we had um, like a few of our graduates uh, were nominated for Irish Times Theatre Awards. So we spun a little article, um, which was like, you know, you know, Lear graduates at the Irish Times Theatre Awards was like the headline kind of thing. So when you typed in Lear, like the Lear or Lear graduates and, and news articles and you click the news section or you just like see your top results underneath the website, you had, you know, articles about like what's going on with graduates. And then suddenly someone who might be interested in like one to two careers an actor or someone who wants to actually maybe study uh, for a master's program in performance or like, is there not performance and like directing or design and that kind of thing. Suddenly then they have this incentive of just like, okay, well, this place is producing actors who are producing people who are award winners. And suddenly then it's going it, it, to, it, it's creating a narrative for them because of like, you know, this, this journey of like, you know, starting out performing something and winning this award or whatever, and versus, you know, the people who have done it already and are now winning the awards, you know, it's the narrative was basically like, you know, we have award winners. Here they are now. If you come in yourself, you could be an award winner. That's just, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, though, we are just trying to sell. We're selling the course. We're selling like people being going to the Lear. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. Yeah. So it kind of um, fits into all these different things. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sense I'm getting from talking to you as well from all these different topics is uh, just the prevalence of technology. Like, I mean, you know, search engine optimization and, uh, yeah. you know, blogs and all this kind of thing. I mean, some people may say, oh, I don't know, but I, I think it's really exciting. Um, so, you know, I suppose you, you'd agree yeah. with that? That's work. Yeah. It's, 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 it's work for me. But it's, um, at the same time, like, you know, it's, it's, it just means, but it's nice that like, there's, there's creative outlets to, you know, create narratives and create, and create stories that, like, you know, are just, you know, engaging with, like, you know, potential customers for stuff down the line. Um, like, it's, you know, hell of a... I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> but yes, I agree with you. I don't. Yeah, saying. yeah. It's a it's a complex kind of subject, but it's just you know it's incredibly interesting just how digital technology is um you know sort of uh, just everywhere, but in a good way. Like I mean, there's room yeah. for traditional theatre as well. Um, I you know of course. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, well, I, I, as, as long as I've got like you know some sense, I mean, always room for it. It's that thing of just like we if we can embrace like you know blending technology with it. That's the way. That's the way forward. I think. Like for instance, this this secret show that we're working on is um, we're hoping to have like a very AV heavy, so like you know, audio visual kind of stuff. So a lot of like you know, a lot of screens and a lot of um, um, stuff that's visually like moving and is like projected and that kind of thing. So that's something I'm and like that's again that's technology based. And we're not moving like the set will be minimal, but the set will be alive because of technology. That's the idea anyway. But that's all I can say about it for now. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds like an incredibly exciting project and it's uh, it's a narrative in and of itself. I mean, like, I'm just like, wow, what is this? Like, you know, this is going to be this is going to be awesome. So, uh, you know, other people will as well. Absolutely. So I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, do keep us up to date on that. And, you know, I suppose before we finish up, like what advice um, would you give to aspiring theatre directors or just you know because I know you do a lot in theatre you know lighting sound etc um mm. in general what advice would you give them and obviously to aspiring uh 
you know people aspiring to work in marketing as such um i know those are two separate things kind of what advice would you give to those people i suppose the one thing is like just one thing i one thing that's worked for me anyway is to keep yourself inspired and that's just by consuming as much art as you can and i mean that is in like you know read you know watch some watch good tv uh go see a play um you know go out to a restaurant and like eat a mad eight course meal these things genuinely like inspire you without you even realizing it sometimes and they do keep your drive for creating alive and i find that's like i i mean yeah, there's you know, there's days where like I I come back I come back here and I have to I have to edit something for instance and it's that thing of like the last thing I want to do after a full day sitting at the screen, you know, looking at spreadsheets and then is then to come home and look at stare at like just audio files and just you know try and get them all together, and then you know you which like you watch you you read something on the bus or you just you, something just inspires you like just to kind of keep you going and it, it for me that that's what really, really helps, and so yeah I just think consume art as where as much as you can is going to just inspire you to kind of want to like want to keep working and want to make it work and want to become you know a creative a professional creative effectively um and then another thing then is like you know just just trying just keep just keep trying to create is the other thing as well there's like there's a lot of like lovely little small festivals that keep cropping up around dublin and not and also a further afield as well i can't actually i can't actually think of anything off the top of my head now but there's like there's creative like seen heard festival for instance for me is just an absolute wonderful little festival there's uh festivals and new writing constantly there's poetry reading uh, festivals there is open mic nights for comedy all these things this is just these are just opportunities for you or whoever you are just to you know try something and experience something and um yeah it'll just help you and i think it'll just make you want to create more and it'll drive you then to find reasons to create and even a pandemic forced myself and Emily to create stuff and you know we came out the other side now with just like with with content which we are very proud of and content that like I'm very proud of and uh yeah we made so we made stuff and as long as you keep making stuff I think you'll you will get to a stage where you'll be you'll be very happy with what you've created well those are wise words yeah no I absolutely agree yeah no that's uh very wise indeed and um you know it's uh, it's beautiful to create you know Akira Kurosawa said so yeah. uh, you know exactly exactly well yeah those are no very wise words indeed um so thank you very much and it's been incredibly interesting um anything else you'd like to add any um you know interesting kind of uh advice or you know stories anything like that before we finish up i haven't really got i think i've, I've kind of really been rambling here for an awful long time um nothing no I think I'm, I think I've said it all. And I mean, if anyone is, that's the thing, if anyone is like, you know, I've nothing to plug at the moment because the thing I would like to plug is a big secret. So I have to be quiet. But um, yeah, I suppose uh, if you want to listen to some of like the stuff I've created, maybe um, Their Only Stories is a six part anthology horror podcast, which is on Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, we need to talk about The Ducks, which is that little six part um, thing I was telling you about. Uh, it's a lovely little, lo- lovely, Tragic, tragic comedy story um that's also on spotify currently um bliss and blind you can learn more about them on our website which is rightsproductions.com um and i'll send you over that stuff if you want to if you'd, if you'd like to share it around but uh yeah that'd be kind of the stuff that i've uh, stuff i'm working on and i suppose advice wise just if you like if you if, if you want an interest in creating this kind of stuff yourself just go for it that's that's what i did and it's uh, been a pleasure
Very good, very good. Well, thank you very much, Kieran. It's been great talking to you. And great talking uh, to you, thank you very much.